you would uh, find 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that is where we will be spending our time today, and specifically in verses 21 through 33, so I want to read those in your hearing, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 through 33, Grace Church and friends, hear the word of the living God. To my shame, I must say that we have been made weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of David? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and let's ask for his help again. Father, we love you and we thank you for this passage. We thank you for our gathering today. We're thankful for fresh mercies today, a new day. We simply ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do the work that you so love to do, that you would take of Christ's and disclose it to your people. And that you would affect our boasting today. That our boasting would only be in the cross. We pray, Spirit come, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Jordan mentioned last week, today we enter into what scholars refer to as Paul's fool's speech. Now what Paul did in the beginning of chapter 11 is really kind of an apologetic for coming to this portion of Scripture. So he's preparing the Corinthians for what he's about to say and how he's about to say it. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And the situation in Corinth was indeed dire. What had crept into the Corinthian church? Well, we know from Scripture... Uh, a spirit of 2 Timothy 4.3 had crept in. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They wanted their ears tickled and itched. 
and were accumulating for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul's opponents, we learned last week, were the false apostles he mentions in chapter 11 earlier on. Deceitful workers, satanic, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They were boasting in worldly things, following worldly values. The church was in danger. They were were preaching a, a... Your best life now, gospel. Now we know the backdrop in Corinth that the church was in was one of an individualism type setting. Health and wealth, prosperity, display of accomplishments was a big deal which led to boasting. Social status was a big thing and so you'd climb the ladders. These these kinds of descriptions marked the things that were important in society. Not only that, but we know from studying these letters that orators, speakers, was highly viewed. It was less about content and how you could entertain and keep a crowd. You can remember back in 1 Corinthians that crept in, I'm a Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm a Cephas. Of course, those... Speakers often receive letters of recommendation, commendation for their, for their greatness. It was high entertainment. Super spirituality crept in. Depending on how big your God was, was how much you could do with your spirituality. And we remember how that crept in in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, 13, 14. Where the Apostle Paul tries to teach them about what real spirituality is. Now the super apostles that... Paul calls them, had this church, or at least a strong minority, lulled to sleep with their false gospel. It was poisoning the congregation little by little. Paul would say a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The church was on thin ice. Paul was their spiritual father. He was the true apostle, and now he's being pushed aside for the super apostles. They they are getting more and more of the ear of the church, and Paul's apostolic authority is losing its traction. And of course, to do this, they know that they have to undermine his teaching, slander him, and make him look weak. But here's the thing, Paul fears if he's rejected, less about his reputation, that the gospel he preaches will be rejected and souls will perish. Scott Hafeman, in his commentary, which is excellent on 2 Corinthians, says this about that, thus, Paul fights for his authority as an apostle. Not for his own sake, but because the gospel itself and hence the very life of the Corinthians are at stake. So chapter 11, we started last week, and now at the end is another attempt of pulling out all the stops to wake them up. So Paul comes with sober but serious and firm motives, and to do so, to argue with them, now he's willingly going to join them, the super apostles, and acting foolish by boasting like them. Well, as we consider our verses that we read, verses 21b actually through 33, there are two obvious headings to me, the way the passage breaks up. And today we're going to consider both of those as two points. The first point, foolish boasting. That's verses 21 through 23. Or we could say man-centered boasting. Or I would argue Boasting according to the flesh, all those things. Foolish boasting, man-centered boasting, boasting according to the flesh. And then the second point begins in 24 through 33. The boasting of a servant of Christ, or God-centered boasting. Or we could say, boasting according 
to the Spirit. So, foolish boasting, and secondly, the boasting of a servant of Christ. Well, let's consider first this first point, foolish boasting. Well, as Paul begins his speech there in verse 21b, you can tell that he doesn't really want to go here. He's, he's uncomfortable with boasting about himself and about these things. We know in chapter 10, he compared the boasting of the super apostles, the false apostles, who actually uh, compared themselves to one another. He compared that to a right boast, which is verse 17. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. So we know that Paul doesn't like this kind of boasting. But this is what they're doing. And a portion of the church was impressed by it, enamored by it. As the serpent deceived Eve early in chapter 11, Paul says their minds were being led astray. So Paul's impassioned with the jealousy of a parent. Again, early on in chapter 11, he's compelled now to boast like the false apostles in order to wake them up. As one pastor noted, the reason that Paul must indulge in boasting is that his opponent's boasting has made such deep inroads in the Corinthian church. So much so that their deadly teaching has gained a hearing. Paul loves this church. We see that at the end of chapter 11. He's concerned that like the serpent deceived Eve, they will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's what we heard last week. He even makes sure in verse 16, if you look in chapter 11, verse 16, to qualify again that they understand that what he's about to do, this foolish boasting, that no one should take him to be really foolish for doing it. He says, again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish so that I also may boast a little. He understands, Hafeman says, what he's doing and why he must do it. If the Corinthians do take him to be a fool, they should do so only for the sake of allowing him to boast. Just a little. Just enough to make his point. And he qualifies himself there in verse 16. Now Paul's point is, because the Corinthians are tolerating this foolishness, they themselves are proving to be not wise, but foolish themselves. The false teachers are proud. They're self-exalting. And the church is growing to be like them. They were blind to the fact of the fleshly boasting. And Paul knows it could ultimately lead to their demise. Well, as we said, desperate times call for desperate measures. And Paul's saying, you want a resume? You want credentials? I'll give you a resume. I'll give you credentials. We've already said Paul doesn't want to boast like this. He's uncomfortable with it, even to the point where he says in verse 23, I speak as if insane. He doesn't want to do this. I speak as if a madman, but he's going to do it to get their attention in the hopes that they will reject his opponents and their false gospel. I'd also argue that Paul's boasting in these verses is not foolishness in and of itself, the content, though he's going to show that their content is. What's foolish is the fact that Paul is being forced to actually boast in this way to prove his point. Well, let's look at verse 22 under this heading. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Well, it's obvious from the passage 
that the false apostles must have boasted in their pedigree. They thought very highly of their heritage, very prideful, very self-promoting, very braggy. That's what boasting means, to brag. They were proud of their heritage. They were conceited in their self-concocted superiority. They were proud of who they were. They may have also been questioning Paul in his pedigree, slandering him, questioning if he were really apostle-worthy by his heritage. Paul didn't even charge for his ministry. I mean, it can't be that good, can it? And then they say, we're also servants of Christ. Well, Paul's saying again, if you want a resume, if this is the way that I gain a hearing with you so that you will listen, then listen up. And he says, so am I. So am I. So am I. Well, if there were any questions of Paul's pedigree, Scripture clears it up for us. Philippians 3, very familiar passage. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. In Acts 22, we learn that he studied under Gamaliel, the the premier teacher of the day. The guy that you wanted mentoring you. Paul before Agrippa in Acts 26. This is what he says. Talking about pedigree and heritage. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. He was well known. Which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time. If they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Hebrews, Israelite, descendant of David. I've got all three. You add Romans 9, and we won't go there, to the mix. And Paul has an amazing lineage. His pedigree is, is untouchable. So if his pedigree is to be questioned, Paul is unmatched. It can't be topped. Everything you're saying, I've got it too. And it's pure. I've got the same thing. Paul showing them and us that to boast in such things, to boast in your own strength because of your heritage, is foolish. By boasting in such things, Paul's opponents are really the fools here. And he doesn't want to boast about them. We've already said that. He loathes it, but he's going to do it to get their attention. He then says, are they servants of Christ? I more so. Paul just told the church in chapter 11 that they were false apostles. Satanic. He exposed them for who they were. Are they servants of Christ? I more so. Wake up, Corinthians. Do you not see? If heritage and pedigree make one an apostle, if heritage and pedigree is the basis by which you will receive someone and listen to them, then I'm all the more qualified. That's what he's saying to him. And if we really want to see what Paul thinks of his heritage, we only have to go back to Philippians 3. We all know the verse. But whatever things were gained to me, his heritage, his pedigree, he started that list. Verse 7 now, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. We know what Paul thinks about his heritage and his pedigree. This kind of boasting... Paul demonstrates for them and for us is ridiculous. It's not even the boasting. You can boast, but it's the object of the boast. Me, 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 me. That's what the false apostles were 
shouting. And this me-centered boasting was, was, so, was such a loud melody that the, the church was growing so impressed that they couldn't hear the poison in the lyrics that were in that music of the false gospel that they were singing. Well, it's likely that when Paul's thinking about the foolishness of this and those teachers he has in view of the fools portrayed in wisdom literature, you, you know those, Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. This kind of boasting, this self-exalting boasting, this me-centered boasting, this foolish boasting is warring against the glory of God. It's self-exaltation. This kind of life is an affront to God. It says we have no need of His grace or His power. It simply says we don't need Him. In Proverbs 10, we learn that the mouth of a fool brings ruin, that fools slander, that wickedness is the sport of a fool. And Proverbs 12 teaches us that the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. And the Corinthian church we learn just right above our verses is tolerating this gladly. The pride of the false teachers has blinded this congregation to the degree that they let them enslave them, slap them in the face. Well, they must be right. I mean, look how awesome they are. Look at the the letters of commendation. Look how confident they are. They come highly recommended. I mean, who doesn't want a confident leader? They've got the goods. We're in. Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up. Do you not see what they are doing in their boasting and who they really are? Well, before we press on, it's good for us to pause and consider ourselves. Do you consider your boasting much, beloved? What do you boast in? Do you find that your pedigree or your heritage or schooling or abilities or giftings or fill-in-the-blank is worth self-exaltation? How is it with you and your boasting, we could say? Well, Paul's instruction for them is the same for us. Man-centered, foolish boasting has no place in the Christian life. It's according to the flesh. Now, I'm not saying you can't have accomplishments or giftings. This room is full of them. But do they have a place in your heart where they feel pride and where praise to you springs up from them? I did this. I'm hoping in this. This is what commends me to my faith family. This is what commends me to God. Do you put on airs around people because of the fear of man, which is pride? Now, I could say stop it, which, which is true and right. We should stop it. We should reject that kind of boasting. But then if we stopped it, maybe we would boast some more in our own strength. So we need the gospel. That's what we need as we think about not doing this. We need to look to Jesus for help. We need the gospel of grace to help us see that in Christ, He's freed us from this kind of boasting. He has set us free from comparisons and false humility and boasting in our strength. Jesus came in weakness to rescue us. He'll say in chapter 13, verse 4, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. The just came for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. His death, his resurrection. We get forgiveness of sin, a robe of righteousness, his righteousness. 
We've been set free from the tyranny of self. And Jesus, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, has given us His Spirit so entwined together that it's called the Spirit of Christ, that He's called the Spirit of Christ. So now we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Now we can live according to the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, which includes all manner of foolish boasting. We are accepted by God through His Son. So let's boast in Him. Well, friends, maybe some of you are here this morning. I was just speaking to the Christian. But perhaps some of you are here today, and this is your life, your accomplishments, your pedigree, your family. Perhaps you grew up in church, your dad was a pastor. Or you've uh, attained commendations for how incredibly bright you are. And perhaps you're hoping in this to get you through life. Your entire life has been a me-centered boast. I've got this. I'll, I'll pull my bootstraps up when things get hard and keep going. Or maybe you're just weary and heavy laden from wearing those masks of accomplishments and you're tired and you don't know if you can keep up the act. Well, that's been our problem since day one. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, exalted themselves in rebellious pride and they sinned against their God and their King. And in their rebellion, they were separated from God and their sin spread through each generation and death through sin. The Bible says to us that in our sin, naturally, we are exalters of self. We are me monsters. We are foolish boasters. That's our bent, naturally. We like to do that. We're dead in our sins. But the good news is, I've already spoke about Jesus, but the good news is, is that this holy God that we've talked about is also merciful. And in Christ, extends mercy to the repenting sinner. So if you'll trust Him by faith, it's Jesus. And you'll turn from you, turn from your sins. He will have you. And He will become your boast. Well, as we continue, we want to consider the second point. The boasting of a servant of Christ. We've considered foolish boasting. Paul begins, he doesn't want to, but he knows to get an audience with them. He's going to boast this way. And now... Paul turns the corner to something else. The boasting of a servant of Christ, or we could say God-centered boasting. So in the remaining passages before us, he turns without hesitation, very quickly, perhaps maybe because he doesn't like boasting the other way, to a suffering in his service as the genuine proof of his apostleship. He's going to boast in his weaknesses, his suffering in his service, and he's going to contrast the man-centered foolish boast in verses 21 and 22 with how he's boasting now. Well, as we read the list earlier, it's pretty impressive suffering, isn't it? I mean, it's an impressive resume when we think about that. It's a lot to take in, and we know that it's not exhaustive. Paul's opponents may have thought that he would have boasted in how many churches he planted, or how many books he wrote, or how many friends he had, all the places he went to, how many people he discipled. But he doesn't do that. He does the opposite. Look with me at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times he was beaten by the Jews 39 lashes. Now you'll find the description of this punishment in Deuteronomy chapter 25. We won't go there, but it was a synagogue punishment and the most severe that Scripture allowed. 
Deuteronomy tells us that it's 40 lashes. But we also know that the executioner, if he went over 40, was liable to be flogged too. So 39 kind of gives you a plus or minus. So that's why you see 39 there. But still, 39 times 5, if I do my math right, it's 195 lashes. And this, these may not have been the only time. 195 lashes. How bruised and how scarred a body did Paul have from that? 195 lashes. He speaks of the rod in verse 25. Three times beaten with the rod. The Jews flogged 39 times, but now we're talking about the punishment of the Gentiles, the Romans. In Acts 16, it's recorded for us. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Beaten times without number, he says. He can't remember how many times. And we often read these verses and we don't think very much about the humanity of Paul. We read them very fast, but the list is worth considering. He says there, once I was stoned. So he's beaten, people picking up rocks, big rocks, and throwing them on him, stoned. He was left for dead by a Jewish mob. It's recorded in Acts chapter 14. Three times he's shipwrecked, shipwrecked, literally on a ship and it wrecks, in the water. So he's whipped and stoned and shipwrecked. I mean, could you imagine the emotional and physical turmoil that would do to a person? Frequent journeys. I've been on frequent journeys, he says in verse 26, and dangers. I mean, this list encompasses everything. Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city. What about the country? Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. It followed him everywhere. His whole existence was full of dangers because of who he was and what he was doing. Every day he feels the pressure of that. Peoples and places all against him. But look at verse 26, false brethren. He notices that. He notes that. Certainly those in Corinth he has in mind. He's already said that. Pretending to be one thing and they turn out to be another. Like Satan disguising himself. Like they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Galatians 2 speaks of the false brethren again who were secretly brought in, who had sneaked in order to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, Paul says in Galatians, in order to bring us into bondage. Traitors, wolves. I mean, it's bad enough when you have enemies outside of you, but now they're inside. False brethren. Imagine the suffering. If that wasn't enough, verse 27 tells us that he had many sleepless nights. Perhaps he's writing and studying, concerned about the churches, or working to provide for himself. He's hungry, he's thirsty. Have you ever had a sleepless night? Multiple sleepless nights? How do you function the next day? I don't function very well with sleepless nights. Hungry, like real hunger pains. Like thirsty. That's suffering. That's suffering. Who wouldn't be affected by a list like this? His body, his mind, his emotions, they've all been affected by the suffering that he faced. Now before we move on to verse 28, We should stop and consider what Paul's doing with this list, this resume. 
in the boast of his suffering and in his service, Paul is claiming authenticity to his apostleship. He's flipping the whole argument with the false apostles. You want a resume of an apostle? I'll give you one. It's weakness. It's humility. It's the way of Christ. The false apostles boasted in themselves, their strength, their commendation, their abilities. But Paul is boasting in his weakness to highlight the genuineness of being an apostle of Christ and ministering the true gospel. This is what it looks like to minister, Paul says. This is what it looks like to go with the gospel. This isn't boasting in what the world values. This is the ministry within the kingdom of God. This is following Christ, what Paul's saying. And he's suffering happily for him. I mean, think about this. Who flogged Paul? He says he got flogged. Who flogged him? The Jews. Go read Acts 9, Acts 13, Acts 14, Acts 17, Acts 18, Acts 19. And you'll hear things like this about Paul. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Or you'll hear things like, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned to them from the Scriptures, explaining to them and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, suffering happily in the service of Christ. He's gospel going. That's where this is coming from. Who beat him with rods? The Gentiles. Why? First Thessalonians tells us, because he spoke the gospel of God to them in much opposition. The gospel, his love for his kinsmen, his love for Christ is what pushed him every day. This is what built the resume. Shipwreck, dangers, rivers, hunger, thirst, all because of his ministry with the gospel to the people he loved, for the Christ that he loved. Corinthians, you want a resume? You want a resume of a true apostle? It's not one of strength and selfishness and health, and wealth, prosperity. It's not your best life now. It's a life of happy suffering and service in the path of the Lord Jesus. Have you noticed that there's no victim pity party with Paul? It's so hard for us, right, when we deal with weaknesses, or I can't even imagine one thing on this list without me complaining. Paul sees this life as the joyful take up your cross and follow after me life. I mean, he's the guy that wrote Romans 8.18. He considered the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's counting it all joy. He's constrained by the love of Christ. And then we get to his real suffering. Verses 28 and 29. The real suffering in his mind. The real suffering of Paul's heart had to do with his pastoral love for the churches. Apart from these external things, he says, in verse 28. Apart from such external things, all these things, it's not exhaustive, but a, apart from these, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? His anxiety and concern over the churches remains his greatest suffering. We don't even have to leave Second Corinthians to see it. Though his other letters bear the mark of his love. He loved the Corinthians. In chapter 1, his afflictions were for their comfort. In chapter 2, we learn with, with many tears he wrote to them that they might know the love that he had for them. He was their spiritual father. In chapter 13, we're going to learn that he wants them to be made complete. And he was weak when his people were weak. 
And when someone was led into sin, he had intense concern. He's just unfolding his pastoral heart. He said, this this is my greatest suffering. One commentator writes, his people's failings set Paul's heart ablaze with pain. It burned. This is proof, isn't it? This is proof of his apostleship. You want my boast? I boast in my pastoral heart for you. That's my weakness. I love you. I care about you. They do not care about you. You're my letter of commendation. Do you see his heart there? Brother pastors, perhaps an application for us. Paul's not the plumb line, but what an example of a man. That's not the main point. But I feel the gap. I feel the gap. The gap of what the Bible says and the gap of uh, living the life I feel the pastoral gap. I don't want to feel that gap. Brother pastors, let's look to Christ continually to learn what it means to be even more faithful pastors. And Grace Church, just to take this as an application, pray for your pastors. We have an elder meeting today. Pray for us. But pray for your elders that we would have an ever-increasing love to Christ that manifests itself into Christ's dripping care for you. Your weakness, our weakness. Your joys, our joys. Your entanglements into sin, our deep concern for you. Pray for us. Well, the sufferings he lists before now feel like enough, but the real boast is his concern for the churches. The ebb and flow of his people's weakness matched only by Paul's with theirs. This is his resume. Do you see the contrast? The super apostles exalted in their power and their strength. And again, the truth is they didn't care about the church. They wanted to get paid. They wanted notoriety. They craved praise. And Paul, we know from 2 Corinthians 5, his ambition was to please him. Scott Hafeman again helps us. Paul's main point is clear in this whole passage. Contrary to what his opponents maintain, Paul is weak, not because of his own inadequacies, but because of his willingness to identify with those to whom he has been sent with the gospel. Whereas they, the false apostles, lord their status over the Corinthians in order to exploit them, Paul gives his up in order to match their weakness with his own. Paul says in verse 30, if I have to boast... I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. He has demonstrated this principle already through these chapters. And he's going to give us another example in verses 32 and 33. Why don't we pause just for a moment to consider. What is it about boasting and suffering and service for Paul? Why does he say that in verse 30? What is it about verse 30? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. If he's compelled to boast, he's told us. It's going to be what pertains to weakness. Well, I'd argue that what Paul is doing in that verse is what he said to do in chapter 10, verse 17. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. So when Paul boasts in his weaknesses, no matter what they are, his suffering, his weakness, his service all point to Christ. Paul's boasting in his weakness points to the value and the worth of Jesus. The one who he serves. Why boast in weakness, Paul? Because it's boasting in Christ and his power. 
It makes much of God. It makes God look good. Our boasting in God makes God look good. He's glorifying God by treasuring Jesus Christ in his boasts of weakness. This is the boasting of the servant of Christ. The kind of boasting that showcases the grace of God. My sufferings and my labors point to the one who knocked me off my horse on the road to Damascus. They point to his worth, his deliverance, his power, his sufferings, his resurrection, his life, his gospel. They don't point to me. They point to him. It's all him. Just think about this boasting in the letter that we're in. Do you remember the collection in chapter 9? All four, the end boast. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All of that. Do you remember chapter 1? Paul despairing for his life, it says. Burden excessively beyond his strength. Sentence of death within himself. I don't even understand the emotional toil of what that would be. All of that. And he says this in verse 9. So that. All that suffering. So that. So that. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. Weakness, boasting, that one. The God who raises the dead. What about chapter 2, verse 14? But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. That metaphor, that prisoner of war metaphor that we heard about back there when we were back there, that's really fueling everything here. He's... He's got it in mind. It's in the backdrop. This picture of the Apostle Paul in his ministry. Here's Paul. Okay, here's Paul. Enemy of Christ. Conquered by Christ. Okay, conquered by God through Christ. Paraded in chains. Bond slave. Happy bond slave. In this triumphal procession of life to his execution. His death in Christ. This whole life of suffering. Paul changed. God conquered me. And he's walking him through life. Suffering. To his death in Christ. The whole time. To show the glory of the one who conquered him. That's his apostolic ministry. That's following Christ. And for us, in so many ways, by application, it's the same thing. Bond servants of Christ walking through this life. And our suffering and our trials and life. And saying, he's conquered me. Everything Paul did. So that metaphor is in the backdrop. Paul's boasting is a God-centered boast. It's a glorify God by treasuring Jesus Christ's boast. And you know what Paul knew? There's one who I serve. There's one who I serve whose resume is infinitely better than mine. Whose suffering, whose humility, whose anguish, whose stripes, whose burden-bearing, whose sleepless nights, no home whose resume far surpasses mine. I boast in Him. By His stripes, I'm healed. Paul says, if I have to boast, I'm going to boast in what pertains to my weakness. I'm going to illustrate this one more time, he says. And I'm going to give an oath to God. He does that in verse 31. He's, he's worshiping the God and Father, Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. He's going to give one more illustration about His apostolic ministry. In Damascus... The ethnarch under Eratos, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and so escaped his hands. You can go to Acts 9 and read that. It seems so out of place. 
until we understand the flow of Paul's argument and what he's doing. Damascus, we know, is where Paul went to persecute the church. Damascus is also the place where Paul's conversion call happened. So he went in as a persecutor of the church, and he came out of Damascus as a persecuted Christ follower. The one went into Damascus with strength, the same that the false apostles were boasting in, and he came out of Damascus boasting in Christ. He went in as a fool and came out wise. He went in with a life of ease and came out with a life of suffering. And it's in this place, weak and helpless, this picture, he was delivered by the hand of God through a window in a basket. This is a paradigm for his ministry. This weakness, this suffering, this service, this humility is part of his apostolic call. What did... Jesus tell Ananias, He is a chosen instrument of mine, he said, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the sons of Israel. And what did he say? For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Samuel Rutherford knew what Paul knew about suffering. That old pastor. If your Lord calls you to suffering, do not be dismayed, for he will provide a deeper portion of Christ in your suffering. The softest pillow will be placed under your head, though you must set your bare feet among thorns. Do not be afraid, suffering for Christ, for he has a sweet peace for a sufferer. God has called you to Christ's side, and if the wind is now in his face, you cannot expect to rest on the sheltered side of the hill. You cannot be above your master who received many an innocent stroke. Saints, we are all weak, right? We don't like to think that way, but it's true. Suffering will come. Suffering's here now. Trials will come. Trials are here now. And we look to Him. Him who has a storehouse of comfort. And as a church, we walk together in our weakness, all being conformed to the image of Christ. You want a resume, Paul says, through all this. We're about to wrap up. You want one? J-E-S-U-S. That's my resume. That's my resume. His opponent's boasting was man-centered. It was foolish. They boasted in their strengths, which made them fools. Paul boasted in his weakness. He flipped the whole thing on its head. They still viewed what he was saying as weakness. We look at that and say, maybe some of us are like, I want to run through a wall for Jesus when I read that list. But they really did view it as weakness. That was laughable to them, everything that he was saying. But he flips it on its head because it's the way of the cross. They boasted in your best life now. Paul boasted in come what may, Jesus is enough. Paul's weakness was foolishness to them and their boasting is foolishness to God. So all this, as a conclusion, is pointing to the authenticity of his ministry in the gospel. Paul was a true servant of Christ whose boasting was in the right person, Jesus He's going to unpack this even more next week in chapter 12 as he continues with his speech. And two final comments of how we should think about this passage in our time and in our context. Just two brief comments. One, consider your boasting. We've already said this. So all this talk about boasting, we've got foolish boasting, we've got man-centered boasting, we've got Christ-centered boasting, God-centered boasting. Just take some time this week to consider your boasting. And that's not aside from looking unto Jesus, because the only way 
that our hearts are going to be changed to boast in the right way to the right object and to kill pride is to look unto Jesus. To have a 2 Corinthians 3.18 moment. To have our hearts shaped. But consider your spheres of life. What do you boast in? Have you considered that? So consider your boasting and look to Jesus as you do. And then last comment before we close. Paul's boasting and suffering should awaken us to what Christianity is. Just like he's screaming at them to wake them up in a different way. A verse like this, passages like this are a grace to us. In a profound way, it should remind us of this is Christianity. Now, was the Apostle Paul an apostle? Yes. Did he have a very specific ministry? Yes. But was he flesh and blood like us? Yes. Did he follow Christ? Yes. Did he have the same Holy Spirit? Yes. And so we may not get flogged next week. We may not get beaten. We may not be shipwrecked. But this is true Christianity. This is following Jesus. Your resume may look a lot different. It's probably not going to have all these things on it. But you are following Christ. And so these kinds of verses are good for us to wake us up from the stupor of out there to say this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul knew this verse like we know this verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Apostle Paul wrote this verse, and my prayer is that it would be uh, tattooed uh, on our hearts. Galatians 6.14, and I'll pray. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Well, may God help us, and let's pray. Again, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would apply this word to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that anything that wasn't in line with your book would be cast far away and anything else would be used by the Spirit to help us grow in our Christ-likeness. Thank you for your word. We do pray that you would help us with our boasting that we would be so enamored with Jesus like we see Paul was here in the gospel that man-centered boasting would not even be named among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.